Welcome to the Reflections of the Savior podcast. Uh, this is Chris Mock with your other host, Alex Cowan, Josh Hill, and John Wiggins. John's going to get us started off with an overview of First John. Yeah, just uh, to kind of intro all of these together, and then I'll get to that First John. But the whole, the kind of the big picture, uh, you know, there's the uh, the thought is that that. John the Apostle is the writer, same guy that wrote the, the Gospel uh, of John, is, is the one who is writing these three uh, smaller uh, uh, epistles or, or, or letters. Um, first John is, uh, there, there's no reference to the author, but um, in, in the second and third John, we see that the writer calls himself the elder. Uh, and then uh, we know that uh, from the earliest days, these three letters were kind of consistently given given credit to the Apostle John. So uh, there's really not a strong reason to not think that. There was a, uh, a one sentence from a famous passage of Papias recorded by Eusebius that uh, kind of introduced a different thought, but, uh, <clears throat> but uh, no, no doubt um, it's pretty strongly thought that John was the author of all these. And so uh, the, there's another the other evidence or thought against that would be the Jonine circle. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically it was the idea that it was a circle or school, a community of John's followers, maybe produced the letters. Uh, critics pretty firmly rule out in advance any possibility that one person uh, produced these works. And so that was that's the reason for that argument, but uh, I think we're going to affirm John the Apostle wrote all three, uh, most likely possibility. So uh, <clears throat> I think these three would also be late, like they would be probably after uh, John's exile, uh, perhaps. Um, the thought is that Eusebius said that John returned from Patmos, Patmos uh, in the book of Revelation, says that chapter 1, verse 9. Um, uh, was likely a reference to that after the death of Domitian in AD 96, and then he revisited the churches in Asia at that time. Uh, so um, seems to be a possible allusion to that in Second John 12 and Third John 14. So all three of the letters may have been written following that time. So, so this is probably one of the later documents in the New Testament. But um, as far as First John. Um, the purpose is, is very clear in this one, uh, just like it is in the gospel. In, in John 20, verse 31, it's, uh, John wrote uh, the gospel and said, uh, the reason I'm writing this is so that you may believe, uh, right? And uh, uh, John 20, 31, and similar picture in, cha- in chapter 5 of 1 John, you see uh, basically John says this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. So, um, He's writing so that those those who believe know for certain they have assurance of their eternal life. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, um, we talk about purpose. Uh, I think that's the dominant purpose. Certainly, there's going to be some some uh, uh, addressing some uh, false ideas that uh, maybe were uh, brought in by Gnosticism or other things. But uh, those are the primary things. Um, and the mark of a true Christian is that of right behavior right attitude and right belief. Uh, so um, uh, this, that's going to kind of be sort of some themes that we see run throughout. Um, so uh, I guess the theme overall 
uh, in, a, in a one short phrase would be marks of a true Christian. Uh, what does it look like to be a true follower of Jesus? I, I think one of the things that uh, when I think about this book is someone who's struggling with their salvation. Uh, this is a book that I would often uh, encourage someone to read in light of that. Maybe they're struggling with uh, assurance of their salvation. The Bible is very clear. John's very clear in this gospel that we can be assured of our salvation. We can have assurance. Um, and it, it comes from uh, the Spirit of God revealing to us, uh, you know, and speaking to us through His Word. And so this is going to be, First John is going to talk a lot about uh, marks of a true Christian. Are you in the faith? Uh, the faith family, helpful. I think. There's a lot mm. of familial words and um, mm-hmm. followers of Jesus, but also children of God is sometimes what we're referred to as there. And mm-hmm. I, I remember uh, just this past Christmas time, I hope everyone listening remembers in December, we preached three Advent sermons, and they all came from the Gospel of John, um, the first 18 verses. And uh, I, I preached two of those sermons. So as Chris was joking about earlier, I often, as we've, as we've done these podcasts, brought everything back to the first couple of verses of John's Gospel, where it talks about how this word becomes manifest. But I'm going to do it again here, because in the beginning of John chapter 1, we see this... Um, the word of life and he starts off by saying that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life the life was made manifest and i mean first of all how amazing it must be for him to write that and reminisce about his time with jesus being able to spend time with this manifested word and you know compare that to the gospel of john where he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god Fast forward to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How amazing is it, and something we gloss over all the time, that for generations and generations and generations, for thousands of years, people had longed for this Messiah. They had read about this Messiah. They had went to the temple and worshipped this coming Messiah. And John is trying to remind everyone, he's here, he's came. The full manifestation has came. We've seen his glory. And here is what this manifestation means for us now. He's going to unpack that in the rest of this letter. And just further on there in chapter 1, he says, If we say we have no sin, in chapter 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what he's saying here is, is if you think you don't have any sin, you're just deceiving yourself. And I find in the world today, what you'll find is a lot of people who are very enlightened, like, well, my truth is my truth and my way to live life is my way to live life. And that might not be your way, but that's okay because you do you, Chris Josh and John, you live your best lives. And that's kind of this enlightened way to look at the world where there is no real relative truth. It's um, it's whatever you want it to be. And John's coming back here and saying, no, we must use God's word as a guide to what is holy and righteous and what is sinful. And if we don't understand for, we don't understand our sin problem, we will never fully understand our need for a savior. And I think that's an an important word something that jumped out at me 
Yeah, and, mm. and right there in that passage where it says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that phrase there, if we confess our sins, when you guys think of what that means for you in your own life and relationship with God, what, what does confession look like for you? Confessing our sins to one another. Uh, we confess our sins to the Lord personally. I mean, uh, uh, con- confessing uh, our sins um, is uh, is being honest with God about uh, how messed up we are. You know, I mean, I think uh, when I think about that. I think about uh, and and what what you read was what Brother Jimmy always called the Christian bar of soap. Uh, I always, but I, not just if you repeat those words, you'll have your sins wiped away. No, he, that's not what he meant. But he, he was the point was like this is something we continually often do, just like we mm-hmm. take a shower, you know, uh, to remove dirt from our body, or uh, uh, the same idea is, is that we continually go back to the Lord and confess sin. Uh, we're no more saved after, after or before that. Um, we're saved once and for all. Uh, when we confess sin and repent of our sin, uh, the first time we're justified forever. But the reality is we, we grow in repentance and we grow in our faith. Uh, and, and one of the means of that growth is confession uh, to the Lord to say, God, I'm not what I ought to be. Uh, and uh, I, and I recognize that I'm repenting of that, and and I, I I'm asking, I'm pleading with you, God, to help me to not be that in the future. You know, so it takes humbleness and awareness, um, and an introspection upon your life to understand. Well, where am I sinning? And it's turning the lens of your gaze, not outward but inward. Um, confession's not possible without humbleness or awareness. I know those of us that are married can identify just because our spouse is the person with whom we spend the most time, the vast majority of the time, you end up confessing a lot to them because just by nature of being around them all the time, they're going to be... And messing things up all the time. messing things up all the time, <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's just the <laughs> statistics don't lie about things like that. Um, but, you know, it's, that's one of, I think, one of the many blessings of marriage is that we have that partner that we can consistently and constantly confess to and confess with um it's just one of the many many wonderful blessings in marriage yeah I've, i heard somebody say once or maybe i read it in a commentary on this passage or something but confession being that moment where like alex is saying we humble ourselves and like john is saying we recognize the depth of how wrong we are mm-hmm. and we say about sin what god has already said about it mm-hmm. you know it's, mm-hmm. it's that we're no longer playing the game of I can get away with it because it's not that bad. We say exactly what God says about it in Scripture. Um, so anyway, I appreciate you guys answering that. I was just curious what your thoughts are and maybe how you practice that devotionally. But um, moving on to chapter 2, uh, looking at verse 7, uh, John uh, begins to talk about this new commandment that is not a new commandment, but in Jesus, uh, something that we're able to follow Uh, It says, Beloved, I am writing to you, or writing you, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. For me, I, I read that as John talking about, you know, from the beginning, when God first gave his word, he commanded his people to love one another. So to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, mm-hmm. and to love others as themselves. That was the, the golden rule, golden commandment. Um, but I feel like John here, and you guys may interpret this differently, I don't know, is saying, but now that we have the Holy Spirit, that the true light's shining, the darkness is gone, as believers who have the Spirit indwelling in them, you can actually fulfill this. You can actually do this. And you're called to love your brother. Uh, you're no longer in darkness. You're no longer just trying to live according to the law, but you now have the Spirit giving you the ability to do what is this new commandment, and that is to love others and to love them well and love them mm-hmm. as you would have them to love you. Mm. So you would you would put, when John says brother, you would put mankind into that as you're reading that. I would say in some sense, yeah. I think brother there specifically is talking about Christians, but I think when you come to mm. the teachings of Jesus and he's talking about loving your neighbor and he gives an illustration of the Good Samaritan teaching us that our neighbor is everyone. So I think that would extend. But I do agree that John is specifically here saying, if you can't even love your brother who's in Christ, how can you say the word of God abides in you? You're supposed to have the most important thing in common, and yet you can't get along. What's the problem? Yeah, Yeah, the the target is mankind, but the bullseye is believers. And you're trying to, he's trying to get that idea across. I like the way you said that, you know, if you can't even love this person with whom you have, everything Christ in common you might as well be shooting at the broad side of a barn you're not going to hit it mm-hmm. yeah a house that stands divided falls yeah yeah love your enemies I mean uh, this, this is to persecute you yeah I mean it, it we don't have a choice in the matter of love mm-hmm. you know uh, because he has loved us we, we mm-hmm. if we choose not to love someone we're doing just the opposite of what God did to us because God's love was not being reciprocated nor deserving were we, and yet God pursued us and loved us and set his love upon us. And, and later so, on in uh, First John, John's going to talk about God is love. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's right. It's a good word. Yeah, you want me to go to chapter four or anything uh, else you guys want to talk about there in two and three? or I, uh, I th- think just in three, an extension yeah. of the conversation we were just having, uh, John talking about, we'll just jump to verse 16 through 18. But he says, by this we know love. So in chapter 2, it's this call to this new commandment. And he's saying, but this is how you know what love is. This is how you know how to love others. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Mm-hmm. That's yes, and that's that's so good. So often, and I, I see it in my own life, and I see it just in the world. This this horrible and dark and and crazy world that we're in. So often, believers are very quick to speak the truth to someone, and then with regards to action, they say, "Well, you know, I've shared the gospel. I've told them what they need to know." But then he's John is specifically talking about. Hey, if you have worldly goods and you see your brother in need and you don't do anything to fulfill his need, what's the point? You know, he's, he's very specific in, in what he's saying, specifically with regards to um, action. You know, love in and of itself, 
brings action. It's like reminds me of Matthew when Jesus uh, talks about how at the end times there'll be the sheep and the goats will be separated. You'll say to the you know the the goats, I was I was hungry and you never fed me. Mm. I was thirsty mm. and you never gave me water. I was in prison and you never visited me. Mm. I was naked and you never clothed me. Um, the uh, Keith Green has a fantastic reading of that that he plays this beautiful symphonic piano too and he gives a little bit of um i don't know he exaggerates a little bit some of some of it you know uh, well lord you know we we didn't even know you were in prison like I, we, i'm sure that that just wasn't our ministry and it's just absolutely fantastic <laughs> so you should listen to it if if you get a chance hmm. yeah and uh, i think it's we mess that up a lot of the times because we associate love with an emotion or a feeling. And so when we look at somebody in need, we don't feel anything. Maybe we're not, maybe we feel a little guilty. We feel compassionate slightly toward them or um, just sympathetic, but we don't feel like we love them. And so we use it as an excuse not to help someone. Um, but really love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. It's about mm -hmm. dedicating yourself to, looking out for someone else's best interest yep. rather than the, your own interest. Commitment to the other mm -hmm. person is good. Yeah, yeah. Love is a commitment a, uh, and a willingness to sacrifice for the good of another. Mm -hmm. I, I think that would be a good picture, I think, of what he's saying. Love is here. And mm -hmm. and, and that person is, I think, uh, is, is our brother in Christ. But I think that's to be uh, universal. Uh, love for anyone. Uh, love for... Uh, people of all kind um, and places and people, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a great word for for us uh, in this day um, uh, to to be mindful of. You know, uh, the church ought to be the people who are known for loving others. You know, there ought to be the people who uh, who are uh, loving in 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 the things we say and in the things we do, and those things are consistent and. Uh, uh, in the life of a believer, yeah, not just talk. Uh, as I say, talk is cheap, uh, but but love and word indeed. Mm -hmm. So and the, and the gospel must be proclaimed with love and in love because it originated with love and in love. So mm -hmm. the gospel requires action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it does. It does indeed. I, I think uh, uh, we we in chapter two. One of the things we we. Uh, missed there when we, we went to chapter three. I, I just saw this a second ago. Was was how uh, you know he ta he does talk about loving uh, people and loving others, but he also says don't love some things. Right? I mean, he says do not love the world. Um, uh, he says uh, if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, a pride of life is not from the father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. In other words, there are things that, uh, God is calling his people to do in terms of love. Uh, but there's also some things he's saying, don't love these things, you know? Uh, and, um, <clears throat> Uh, that's that's interesting, right? I mean, like uh, we can't love sin and darkness and and evil uh, and and say that we uh, are uh, right in in how we're loving. Yeah. Even more than that, we can't love things that are secondary. We can't love the 
peripheral things that we have in this world that will pass away. It's like we were talking about uh, yesterday in, um, you know, we were talking about not wasting your life. And, you know, the, the famous John Piper sermon and, and his book and all of that. And we're talking about what it means to not waste your life and how you can be effective. Um, the vast majority of people spend most of their lives, um, even Christians, you know, serving the Lord. Um, but we will spend, from the time we enter the workforce until the time we retire, we have sacrificed hours of our of our time not just to provide but also a lot of times to get ahead it's this idea of the american dream being the ultimate goal for somebody in in the united states and we we when john is telling us not to love the world but he's also telling us that love is sacrifice how much are you sacrificing in your own life today for something that's going to pass away that's something mm. that I think is important for us to be mindful of. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to come from the motivations. Like Absolutely. A Christian should go to work and work their tail off, and because they do, they'll probably get promoted. Mm-hmm. But they should not spend every waking moment worried about how do I get that promotion. Mm-hmm. But go to work, work your tail off, love your coworkers, love your boss, treat people with kindness, do things in a way that's ethical. Um, even all if All for the glory of God. That's right. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, let me, I'll move us on to this, uh, this other uh, verse I was going to share in chapter four. It says, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to read, uh, I'll just start with verse seven. This is really, I, th- I think w- when I do marriage counseling, this is one of the passages that I share a lot of times and just talk about uh, a definition for what love really is. Uh, it says this in chapter four, verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves uh, has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And that, that right there, man, there are a few things that God is, right? This, uh, he says, this is who I am at the core. And one of those is, is love. Uh, very few things that you say that about. That's one of them. Um, <clears throat> I am holy, you know, that, that type of... Uh, Verse nine says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son uh, into the world so that we might live through him. Uh, in, in this is love, not that we have loved God. Uh, that's the not reciprocated part of this picture, uh, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another uh, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's love or God abides in us and his, and his love is perfected uh, in us. I'm going to read, I'm going to keep going a little further because this is where I'm, I kind of talk about. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the, fa- that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Uh, By this is love perfected uh, with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Yeah, I, the the whole the whole section here, uh, primarily about love, but uh, you know, and, and how it, how we how we know God, um, how how 
uh, where to, um, or how, how we've seen God's love on display, particularly in the person of Jesus, right? Um, uh, he's manifest his love for us by sending his son in the world. Uh, and um, we didn't, you know, it's, it's, it's clear that we didn't love him first, right? He puts the order for us in perspective that it's not that you loved him, but that he loved you. And he did this when you were not loving him. Uh, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love in that while we were sinners. The picture is not uh, God is so nice that he would save uh, good people who were loving people. No, no, no. The picture is God is gracious to love deeply sinful people, right, uh, who were not loving him, who were loving themselves more than him. And, uh, and so... Um, yeah, that's why I said, that's why I shared that definition a while ago, because I think it, I, I think we do see in John, uh, John's writing here that, that love is, is not deserved. God loved us graciously, but not only that, but he also, uh, it was not being reciprocated. Like we weren't first here. Uh, it was, it was his love pursuing us, uh, in his son, Jesus. Um, so. And what an example for us when we think when we're asked to love others, and sometimes we, people pop up in our head who are difficult for us to love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we're reminded of what God done for us while we were his enemy, while we were, you know, lost in our sin. Yeah. Sent Christ to die for us. So shame on us if we can't love other people just because we think they're difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love how this passage, you know, like we were saying earlier, takes love out of this abstract concept kind mm -hmm. of realm where you, you have a lot of people who are even Christians who will take a verse like this, slap it on a T-shirt, or even in conversation, you know, it's like, God is love, man. Mm -hmm. And you're like, but what does that mean? And mm -hmm. you come and look right after where it says God is love, and it shows us this tangible, real picture of a bloody sacrifice mm -hmm. that proved to us God's love was in sending his son Jesus. And so when we talk about God being love, it's not like there's just this, abstract feeling floating around the room that we all need to try to grab hold of but it's God has showed us how to love by sacrificing and so we should love by sacrificing just mm -hmm. like he did yeah I think there's a good word for us too in that uh, we are in a day when uh, fear is prevalent right now and uh, scripture tells us here in this passage love casts out fear. Uh, that's what he, that's what he said. I don't think I read all of that part, but verse 18, there's no fear in love, uh, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Uh, in other words, man, we, um, if this kind of love that's been lavished upon us is a love that casts out fear, it removes fear. And, and, uh, that's a good, a good word for people who are, uh, maybe fearful. Uh, you know, or, or, or struggling with fear, you know, uh, believers uh, who, who are struggling with fear of illness, uh, potential illness or, uh, or, um, or injustice or, or whatever. Like we, we see that perfect love casts that away. And, and, and God has loved, loved in such a way that his love toward us in Jesus is a love that, that removes fear uh, from, from the world. That's, that's good news, yeah, man. That's right. Yeah. I, I'm always struck, um, and I always love it when there's these clear statements given in Scripture. And in verse 13 that you read there, John, it says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, 
And I love statements like that because there's a very clear statement here. Here's a sign that you abide in God and God abides in you that he has given us his spirit. And, um, you know, it's not just about saying you're a Christian or walking the aisle of a church or living your parents' faith, but have you received that Holy Spirit? That sign that you abide in God. Because it's that new spirit, it's that new heart that allows you to look at this fearful world and say, I don't need to be scared because I know who holds the fate of my life in his hands. Mm -hmm. And I can cry out, oh, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives. That's why you're the worship pastor, Josh. Because (laughs) he lives, we Mm -hmm. can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's a good, that's a good gospel word there, man. Uh, it it's all there's there's so much, man. There's there's so much goodness in that, and there's also so much challenge in this letter yeah. as well. As you as you see, like John say, uh, you know, there is a sin and a death. Even that's that's in First John five eleven. There, uh, you know, he he goes on to talk about which is somewhat of a mystery in itself. But he says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in the in His Son. And whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, there, there's this idea. Man, I don't know if that's the right reference there or not. Um, I don't think that was the right reference. But uh, where's this passage on the sin and the death? That I don't think that was it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. That wasn't it. But but I think verse maybe verse 10 might have been what I was talking about. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his son. Maybe that the idea is that the sin of the death is um, uh, some kind of... Uh, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. That's what it is. Paul talks about a sin and death, and I think John's kind of alluding to it here that that, that sin and death is unbelief, you know, is... The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, making yeah, God right. out to be a liar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and if you continue too long in, in making God out to be a liar by... How would you do that? Well, in this, in this chapter, you would do that by saying you're a Christian and not loving your brother, right? That'd be making God out to be a liar. And, um, a, you know, so... Uh, I think, um, and there's some, there is some challenges here, you know, especially for people who've been heavily wronged by someone, right? I mean, it's easy to let bitterness cause you to hate someone to where it's very different. I mean, that's a little harsh, but cause you to not be able to love someone, you know? I mean, if you've really been wronged by somebody uh, and, you know, the gospel gives us power to, to, to forgive, um, if it were easy, John probably wouldn't have had to write to tell us to do it. Yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he he clearly had to had to uh, help us um, because uh, our feelings are not going to lend themselves to just forgiving people who really, really deeply wrong us. You know, uh, but um, uh, the scripture's clear. You know, uh, love your brother. If you're not loving your brother, you're not loving God. You know, I mean. These two things are work together, you know. Um, Anybody got anything you want to share before I hit these closing verses here? You got it, Chris. All right, verses 20 and 21, I think are just, I mean, they're just great. Let's just read them. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, 
and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That may seem odd to end like that, but after just declaring that Jesus is true God and that in him is eternal life, he's saying there's nothing in this world worth exchanging Jesus for. So at the mm-hmm. close of the letter, remember that. Remember that there's nothing in this world worth exchanging for Jesus. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us this week uh, for this episode of the podcast. Um, we appreciate you taking the time to spend with us and uh, tell your friends, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you find your podcasts. And until next week, we will see you soon.